I don't know about you, but that hymn stirs my soul. Uh, right here on that, this, uh, this sanctuary, my wife and I were married, and that was the hymn that we played at our wedding. And I love that line, that soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I'd like to welcome you to the Houghton Wesleyan Church today. It's a great honor to be here with you and to make you feel that you're a part of the house, the family of God. Uh, we also welcome those who are listening uh, by way of streaming. Please stand and join with me in the response of call to worship. Print it in your bulletin. Truly our souls find rest in God. Our salvation comes from Him. Yes, my soul find rest in God. Our hope comes from Him. Our salvation and our honor depend on God. He is our mighty rock, our refuge. Our strong Heavenly Father today, in all the uncertainty, in all the things that we can't control, in all the, the, the challenges that come our way, it is indeed the greatest security that we can have, that you are our firm foundation. Thank you for that promise that you will always be there for us. And if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Bless this service, lift us, strengthen us, and tell us what we need to hear today to make the world a better place. In your name, amen.
Amen. As Jamie said, that is our promise, that God will always be faithful to us. And it's one of the reasons we gather for worship, to be reminded of who God is and to declare our faith in Him. We're so glad to see you this morning as we gather here today. We especially want to welcome our new or returning students at the college and the academy. We're so glad to have you here. Let me invite you to take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. As I mentioned, it is so great to see each of you here in worship this morning. Uh, If you would like to connect with us in any way, if you have something you want to know more about, more information, any information you want to share with our staff, there are sheets in the uh, pew racks in front of you. Please feel free to fill those out. If you're a guest this morning, we especially invite you and encourage you to fill those out. You can drop them in the offering plate a little later or just simply leave them in the pew and we'll collect them after the service. Just real quickly, there's an announcement in your bulletin. Sunday school classes started today. Uh, If you were not a part of that and you'd like to be, you can feel free to jump in next week, and the list of those are here. And also, small groups uh, are beginning uh, in uh, next week. And so we want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group or haven't been, uh, this is a great opportunity to jump into one of those, and there's information there about how you can find out more information and get connected to a group. This is the beginning of Christian Life Emphasis Week, which is an annual part of our connection with Houghton College. And uh, we are thrilled to welcome uh, David Drury here uh, this morning. He'll be speaking in the chapel tonight. He'll be speaking in chapel Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings. And then Monday night, uh, we'll be in the campus uh, center basement for a coffee house. And Tuesday evening in the Gillette uh, Lounge for just a question and answer dialogue time. And you see that information in your bulletin. Uh, we are excited about having David here, and we know that uh, God is going to speak to him, uh, through him, to us as uh, we gather together in these days.
The Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Please stand with me and join in the doxology as the ushers come forward. Father, we are reminded this morning that you don't need our paltry offerings, that you could do it all yourself, but you invite us and give us the privilege to participate in this opportunity to give to you to serve this world. Thank you for that joyous privilege in your name. Amen.
being God's people in this world, bearing witness to Christ in this world, begins with uh, our openness and honesty with God about ourselves. So I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our sin and pride hide the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. In your mercy, cleanse us of our sin and baptize us once again with your spirit, that forgiven and renewed, we may show forth your glory, shining in the face of Jesus Christ, as we hear the words of Jesus, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. Amen. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, if you would like to to offer your prayers at the altar rail or seated in one of the chairs here in front, please come and join me. Gracious Holy Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Christ and in him we have the clearest image of you. And we are here today in humble worship, giving thanks to you and giving glory to you for all that you have done for us, particularly in Jesus. Father, as we gather today, we have come having lived and experienced a wide variety of of uh, things this week. For some of us, there have been moments of great joy and excitement and other moments of failure and disappointment. Bring your spirit to bear into our lives that in every moment we might know the hope that is ours in Christ. For some today, we come and with the burdens on our hearts, financial burdens, relational burdens. We have concerns about the future. Minister your grace to each of us. Restore what is broken. Heal our diseases. Give us hope and faith that you meet every need. Father, we pray for particularly for those who are coming with heavy hearts today. For all who are grieving, we pray especially for Joyce Fisher and her family, that you would give to them your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. Think especially of Phil Maine and Dan Gurley, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today. We pray, Father, for, for our, not only the, the ministry of this church, but the churches around us. 
And today we think of the Trinity Church of Nunday and Pastor Ron Duttweiler. We thank you for this congregation of believers. As they worship you today, may they sense your spirit with them. And as they go out to serve, may they know your spirit goes before them. We thank you for your work in this world. Thank you for the privilege of joining together in bearing witness of you to this world. We pray today for the the medical dental team that is making preparations again for another trip to Haiti this January. As they prepare, as uh, as you call people to join, may it be evident that you are at work here as well as in Haiti, and that the fruits of their labors would continue to grow and expand. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution and opposition for their faith in you. We think today of the church in Egypt, this place that has historic roots with the gospel, and yet the church there faces such opposition. We ask that you will continue to strengthen your people there and encourage them. Raise them up to be witnesses for you. Protect them. And for the Wesleyan churches in Egypt and Pastor Khalif who leads them, may your grace be upon them. As they have been given this this miraculous privilege of of putting up a building that will house their offices and headquarters and be a, a place for retreats for all the churches, We pray that you will work miraculously to bring this about. And may the church in Egypt continue to bear witness of you through the strength of your spirit in them. Father, we think of just the, the grief and the pain of our world. People recovering from tragedies and disasters all over the world and, and even right around us. We think of the Amish family and the, the uh, accident this week on Tucker Hill Road and pray for your healing upon them. We pray for refugees all around the world who are simply looking for a safe place to call home. We ask that you would protect them and help them. We think of places where war and violence are simply everyday life. Bring peace. Father, as we embark on another academic year, we pray for grace to be upon all whose calling is to teach, upon all who come to learn, upon all who lead, upon all whose task is to provide support to the whole process and to all involved, and upon all of us as we pray and love and encourage each other. And wherever our place may be, and whatever the institution may be, in the place of service, do more this year than we could have ever imagined. Release your spirit upon every, every place of learning, every place where, where people come to teach and, and people and children come to learn. We pray, Father, that you will work miraculously. And particularly this week, we pray your anointing upon David as he speaks to us today and tonight and other events this week. May these gatherings together be... The, be a spark that ignites through your Holy Spirit, a fire of, of holiness, a fire of righteousness, a fire of knowing you and being your presence in this world. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. 
We offer them the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Anyone who's thinking this morning how toasty it is in here, just think of what a great opportunity it is to serve your fellow man by fanning your neighbor with your bulletin. Together we can create a whirlwind of holy fanage here, and we can be as cool and calm as can be. After the scripture reading this morning, we invite all the children, ages 2 through 5, to go to Children's Church. And if you're able, please stand and join with me for the reading of the gospel. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord.
want to bring you greetings uh, from the church. You are part of a network of churches throughout western New York and throughout the state of New York and all of America and even North America. And then around the world, if you didn't know it, you're actually a, a part of a network of churches that is 99 countries around the world. You'd think we'd get that last one, right? And then there'd be 100. Maybe you could be a part of that soon. Uh, but I want to greet you on behalf of that. I get to work with uh, the churches primarily in North America, but also around the world, and just have the pleasure of greeting you. Uh, most of the church has already worshipped today, so we're kind of bringing up the, the last few innings of the ball game in worshipping, so they preceded us in worship today, uh, and uh, we're a part of that great host of people who are worshipping Jesus Christ that call themselves Wesleyan. So it's good to be with you today. <laughs> I want to talk about two kinds of people today. The first kind of person knows they're exhausted. So anybody here feeling a little exhausted? Anybody want to admit it? Okay, a few of you. So this week actually had a pretty exhausting moment. I actually spent an entire day from early in the morning to late at night in meetings and uh, got home fairly late. And it was one of those nights when your head hits the pillow and you fall asleep right away, which was good. Because I had to get up early in the morning the next day and drive downtown to Indianapolis for a whole long day of more meetings. Well, the problem was I woke up at 2 a.m. You ever have this? It always seems to be when you have like a lot of pressure, like you have to get up pretty early for a flight. And you already were kind of short on on time to sleep. And so I woke up and it was already 2 a.m. So I kind of felt like I probably shouldn't take a sleeping pill or I'll be too tired when I have to drive early downtown. So I'm just like trying to will myself to sleep, you know, counting sheep kind of moment. And it never worked. I could not fall asleep. There was nothing I could do. I was up and out of bed. I went and tried to sleep on the couch, tried to do all sorts of things. So there I am the next day, having been up since 2 a.m. And I try to pray, but I'm not somebody getting up in the middle of the night praying for hours like, uh, you know, you might want me to be. So I'm not used to this. And I'm in the meeting, and I'm just exhausted. In fact... Have you ever had that where you just, you're starting to nod, whether it's in a meeting or a class? I know none, none of the classes of any professors that may be in the room, but maybe other, other classes in high school. And you're just kind of nodding like this. And, and have you ever had that moment where you, you wake up after you've fallen asleep, sitting upright, and everyone's looking at you? That's a hard moment because you have to decide, like, was I snoring? And people all looked at me, or did they call my name, and then they all looked at me? And so I chose the latter, and I just decided to speak on the subject that was the, I don't know how long they had been talking, uh, speak on the subject, just kind of what my thoughts were. And I think that was what happened. They called on me because uh, everything kind of, they kind of ignored uh, the moment. So it was embarrassing, because I was exhausted. So, in fact, I was so exhausted that at lunch, I took my box lunch, and instead of meeting with people, I went up on the fourth floor of the building in downtown Indianapolis, and I found, it was just a hardwood floor, just like this, and I literally laid down on my back, without a pillow, on the floor, and slept for 20 minutes, just to recover. And that was great, because I had like 20 minute nap, and I was able to get back into it. Now, that is the kind of exhaustion where just a little bit of sleep helps. That little nap got me through that afternoon. If you sleep for a night, it makes you feel refreshed for the next day. Or you can have a vacation, and have a really great checkout time. I'm talking about the kind of exhaustion that a vacation doesn't help. You ever been there? 
Have you ever been at the place where things are so hard that you can't even get things back on track with a sabbatical, (laughs) with months off, or a summer break from school? I had that moment for myself in 2002, for sure. Maybe other moments, but for sure in 2002, I felt like a failure. Felt like a failure in my job, for sure, in many ways. Felt like a failure as a father to my one-and-a-half-year-old son, my first kid. I felt like a failure as a husband, failure in relationships. I just felt like everything was falling apart. In fact, I had an office where uh, I I had a desk right by a window, and people could come by the window and sort of peek in and wave at me, or I'd wave back, or I'd wave them in, and that, that's sort of how it worked. I, not many people stopped by my office, though, but people did kind of look in the window. So I felt like I had to go to the office, even though I wanted to quit my job. So I'll confess to you, I took the Lord of the Rings to work. Now, maybe you've seen the movie. This was before the movie came out. And I got the Lord of the Rings, that, like, I'm talking like the huge one, the thousand-page tome. And there was a partition by my desk, and I went behind the partition, just to like hide from the window, right? And I literally laid down behind the partition with the Lord of the Rings. And I read the Lord of the Rings for three days straight. That's how pathetic I was. That's how much, how exhausted I felt. I think the Lord of the, I was the Lord of the Rings because I just wanted to escape. I wanted to go to a different world and just completely forget all the ways that I felt like a failure. I was exhausted. I had exhausted all of my resources. Have you been there? Have you been at the point where you knew you had exhausted your options? The beautiful thing is we're going to talk about a time when Jesus showed up in just such a situation. If you've ever been at the end of your rope, the great thing is, is Jesus loves to lower a rope to those at the end of theirs. He loves to bring us out of that state of exhaustion. So think about the wedding, the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can keep it open. We're going to hit a couple parts of that. But consider this. We're in this room. The wedding has already taken place, the ceremony, and now people are at the party. And they're eating and they're drinking. They're having fun. There's people dancing. They're loving this kind of celebration of this new marriage. And at some point... Mary, who's there, the mother of Jesus, Mary notices something's wrong. Have you ever noticed when, like, the people at your table aren't getting their drinks refilled? Are are you the kind of person that sort of, like, tries to wave down to make sure the other people get their refills? This is happening for the entire wedding party. Nobody's getting their cups refilled. And Mary notices what other people don't, as mothers often do. Amen? So she goes into the kitchen. And there is all the waiters. And they're all there with empty pitchers. (laughs) And as I imagine in my head, uh, that they just say to her, blurt out, we're out of wine. What are we going to do? And we don't know. Maybe they didn't have enough money for the amount of guests that were there. Maybe the people drank too much. Maybe they underestimated. But they were out of wine. And so... Mary, who notices what others might miss, also knows to go to the person others might miss. And so she goes to Jesus. So now, you'll notice it says that Jesus was there with his disciples. I think it's notable that Jesus had disciples before miracles. 
So there's the teaching that has brought disciples around him before there's even the miraculous. I imagine they're sitting around a table. I don't know, do you think Peter's telling a fish story? (laughs) Right? And maybe James and John and Andrew are kind of laughing along. They've heard it a thousand times. Maybe they're debating the size of the fish (laughs) that Peter brings up in the story. And Mary catches the eyes of Jesus. He peels away and he says to her, she says to him, I should say, they have no more wine. I think this is an interesting scenario because Jesus reacts in a way that I'll confess kind of sounds, Jesus isn't being very (laughs) Christ-like. Which, of course, doesn't make any sense. But at first you're like, why are you doing it? It's almost like Jesus is like nonchalant. I picture him like eating bread, you know, like Brad Pitt in the movie. You ever notice how Brad Pitt's always chewing as he says his lines? And he says, why do you involve me, woman? And then he says, my time has not yet come. This is important. There is a time that's supposed to come. Apparently. Apparently, there is a strategic plan for the unveiling of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if they have whiteboards and consultants in heaven, but they have a calendar. They have a date. They have a way it's supposed to go. And even more important than that, when you study this text, God tosses that out. God takes his plan and says, well, I guess we're not doing that. And I'll respond to this need. And why I think that's important is I think all of us from time to time have that sense that maybe my problems are not big enough for God's concern. That maybe... God has other things to handle than my issues, than my problems, than whatever resource it is that I have exhausted in my life. I beg to differ. Because I tell you what, I don't know what the strategic plan was. I don't know if Jesus was going to do it in one of the miracles that are already in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, maybe I I would have maybe the man born blind. That sounds like a great first miracle. (laughs) Or even better, raising somebody from the dead. Or maybe something in the temple. That'd be a great way to start. Symbolic. No, no, no. Jesus changes the plan and responds to this need. And I'm here to tell you that whatever it is that is exhausted in your life, God cares about that. He rolls his schedule out ahead of schedule. He adjusts his timetable. That doesn't fit for me very well in my theological categories. But apparently, according to Scripture, That seems to be how God works. Then Jesus goes into the kitchen. There he finds just what Mary saw. And he tells them, fill these jars. So now there's six jars, 20, 30 gallons. There's maybe 120 gallons in these jars. And Jesus says, I want you to fill the jars. Now, this is a little strange. We've got to pause for a minute. Because this has nothing at all for the servants' minds to do with wine. This is where people were washing their hands and maybe even their feet. They're like, yeah, they already did that, Jesus. We don't need more wine. We need wine. Wine, you know wine, doesn't come. So, but no, Mary apparently had a lot of authority. Said, wherever, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So they do it. They go, and we don't know whether they took the jars themselves, the big jars, and carried them, multiple guys, piece and filled them. Probably more likely than not, they did a bucket brigade, right? Ran down to fill up the water, filled up these pots. This is a lot 
of water. It's actually, if you think about it, it's about, if you're trying to figure out how many gallons that is, that's about the load capacity of water of a Ford F-150 pickup truck. This is a lot of water about to become wine. What happens is, is I, I imagine that there's this moment where they dip into the pot and they pour it out and it's dark. And they experience this moment. Oh my goodness, we just witnessed a miracle. So the quantity of wine is huge. It's all these gallons of wine. In fact, this is probably four to five weddings worth of wine. So Jesus is providing a quantity that vastly outweighs the amount that's needed for the situation. And I think he's making a point here. He's making a point saying, I not only can meet your needs, I can flood you with a veritable flood of wine that's even unnecessary. That's how God can provide for our needs when we're exhausted. Not only that, what happens next is instructive. They start to serve out to the wedding. And as people get the wine, including the master of ceremonies, master of ceremonies notices something. This wine is better. He says, well, usually after people have drank a little too much and they can't tell whether the wine's good or not, that's when you bring out the junky stuff. Now, I don't know if there are many people in Houghton Wesleyan Church that are a connoisseur of fine wines. But apparently Jesus knows the difference. Because he makes the best wine. He transforms this foot water into this amazing, feast-worthy drink. God not only provides better quantity, he provides quality. What Jesus can do in the situation where you feel exhausted is more and better than what we can do on our own. Now, I confess, there's a moment, actually, when I did a wedding. I don't necessarily love doing weddings. I, I kind of feel like all the weddings are the same. Sorry. Sorry, ladies, that thought your wedding was so unique. But uh, all the weddings kind of feel the same, whereas funerals are always, like, different. They're, it's always a different life you're celebrating. But anyway, I was doing a wedding back when I was doing that a lot more. And, uh, and there's a moment in the wedding where they wanted to have everybody do communion. And so... They did communion. I always insist that everybody has to take communion, not just the couple. So I take the couple, and they're coming up here to an altar, and her, the train of her dress is like laid out behind them, and the man's in his nice tuxedo. And we go up there, and I do the little thing where I take the little, you know, the little brass communion element trays. You've seen those before. I kind of take them off, ching, and uh, they're empty. So when we did the communion, like the elements were all there for the crowd, but we, the people that prepared it forgot to put some up there. So in a wedding, you know, as a minister, you're trying to just make sure you don't screw anything up. Definitely say her name right, for instance. You know, don't want to say with this wing, I thee wed or something, you know, some kind of screw up. So I, I'm terrified. I'm like, what am I going to do? And, uh, and I made a split second decision and I kind of picked up the cup and the tray and I took it over to the couple kneeling at the altar, and I said, okay, we screwed up, and uh, this is actually the hard part of the wedding. You know, if this is the worst thing that happens, it's going to be okay, but we have no elements, so let's fake it. <laughs> and so we, they take the elements and kind of, 
and uh, they take the cup. And they're like, okay, you know, this isn't real. And I said, don't worry, we're going to do photos right after the wedding, and when we come back in here, I'll get some elements, and then you can actually have communion so that this is the funny story you get to tell for your wedding. So I am right now confessing to you that I literally, like, defamed in a way the Lord's Supper at one point in my career. Wouldn't it have been great if I had been able to do a little miracle right then? Like, you'd be like, oh, that's no problem for me. Ta-da! And only they would know. So as little as that would have been, if I had been able to do a little, little miracle, I don't know, maybe God wanted me to do a little miracle there. Maybe I should have tried. I didn't even try. I just lied like you all know. <laughs> if I had done a little miracle there, it wouldn't have been that much different than the miracle Jesus did as his first miracle on earth. It's a tiny little miracle. I mean, the people could have gone home, right? I mean... God did not incarnate as a living human being in order to make sure the party goes another hour. This is tiny. But God provides more and better than you could ever imagine because he cares about their need. Here's the thing. I talked about two kinds of people. Some of you are a little annoyed because I never mentioned the second time. But now I will. The first kind of person, if you remember knows they're exhausted. They know that, that they're into the rope, that they've exhausted a resource financially or educationally or in their career, in their marriage, in their parenting, in their relationships, in their energy, maybe physically, even just with illnesses. They know they're exhausted. But there's a second kind of person, and that's all the rest of us. And that's the people that don't know they're exhausted. But they are. Because every single one of us that hear these words, all of us are out of the resources we need. It only takes one phone call from a doctor, one 911 call, one accident, one incident, one situation with one of your kids... It only takes one surgery. Each of us is is dependent upon God for even the breath you are exhaling right now. And that I am as I exhale, as I say these words. When we breathe in that air, it it is an act of dependence upon God. Even those of us here who might not know Jesus personally. God has worked in a in an advanced way, in a preventing, prevenient way with his grace to make sure that your life is preparing itself to come to this point, to even hear these words. God's grace works in that way, in a sovereign way throughout all of our lives. Sovereign meaning he's like the king over everything. You are not in control. I am not in control. He is in control. Amen? of everything about our lives. And so the response for somebody who's at the end of their rope is somewhat obvious, and that's to reach out and grab it. But what about the couple in the wedding? They didn't know, did they? The people at the party didn't know. The mother of the, of the bride doesn't know they're out of wine. The only people that know are the servants. 
And I don't know about you, if you're ever in that moment where you're sort of like the bucket brigade filling up the pots. You know, you have a life like that where you're doing all that work and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't seem to be providing the fruit and results that you really hoped it would. And you're like, God, did you really want me to just fill up these foot water pots with my life? I tell you what, follow the advice of Mary. Do whatever he says. Because your job and my job is to be like the servants behind the scenes to carry the water. And then it's his job to turn whatever it is into whatever he can make it. It's his job to turn the water into wine. It's his job to turn unemployed into employed. It's his job to turn the student in front of you that doesn't seem to be going anywhere into that amazing 30-year-old that's going to be changing the world in a decade. It's his job to turn water into wine. It's your job and my job to carry the water. Amen? So don't be discouraged. Do that and understand his great sovereignty, his great control over all things, and his amazing ability to turn water into wine. The beautiful thing is we servants, all of us, get to see the miracle. I got to see a miracle. I had a couple that I had known for years. And he and I went to a concert and he confessed to me on the way back from the concert that he had left his wife. And uh, that even though everything on Facebook was fine, have you noticed that? Even though all the pictures looked fine and all the posts looked normal that he was already living with another woman, as in moved out, living together, lawyers were already called. Well, we got to talking and we got to praying. And I'm certainly not a counselor. I never did any counseling with them at all. They went to another counselor. But I asked him to just pray. And we knelt and prayed. Eventually, he ended up coming to my house and living with me for a couple days because he needed to leave her but he couldn't go back to her and she wouldn't let him. But they started to pray together with me and the first prayers were a lot of angry prayers. There were a lot of God change him because he's horrible. God change her because she's horrible. But then eventually the prayers changed and God brought them back together and they reaffirmed their union together and able to raise their children into adults together. I tell you what, that is a miracle. In fact, I believe that's a greater miracle than turning water into wine. Water has no will. God could just... But two people, especially in that situation, that's a three-way miracle. I'm telling you what. God is not just changing it, but he's changing their hearts so that their wills are changed and reunited in Christ. God does change water to wine. Do you believe he can do, do, still do these miracles? Okay, keep carrying the water. Will you please stand with me? I want to pray for you. We're going to sing in a moment after I pray. But for now, I want you to communicate with the Lord. Talk with God. Help Him make it clear to you how exhausted of resources you really are. Depend upon Him. Give Jesus control. Because if you really see with the eyes of the servant, you'll know you're out of wine. Pray right now.
meditate on the word trust. Amen. If you'd please stay standing as we continue to worship in song.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.